You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week is Ethan Lane. Ethan, of course, is the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and Senior Executive Director of NCBA's Federal Lands. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ed. Well, the big news out of Washington, uh, specifically out of the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management today, is that they have released their final sage-grouse amendments today. Um, The failing New York Times, as President Trump likes to call them, was the first out of the gate with the news this morning, and it's uh, the headline uh, is is very uh, scary. It says, Trump plans major rollback of sage-grouse protections to spur oil exploration. (laughs) And they basically make it sound like our beautiful American West is going to be completely uh, covered with uh, giant oil rigs, basically. So, Ethan, what happened today, and What's, what's really going to happen down the road as this moves forward? So the, the real story is that the Department of Interior under Secretary Zinke came in and did what we asked the previous administration to do on sage grouse uh, that they failed to do, which was to get consistent with the state's ongoing management of this species to ensure that we're getting the right kind of tools on the ground to create habitat that works for the bird and, and make sure the bird can thrive, but in a way that doesn't sideline activities that can coexist with them like grazing. Uh, What we've seen in the years since that 2015 plan is that they didn't get it right in 2015. They did put some things in that plan that were inappropriately targeting grazing that led to reductions in grazing in sage-grouse habitat where most of the time we needed more grazing to manage those fuel loads. You know, we saw the Martin fire over the summer, burned almost a half a million acres in Nevada. That was prime sage-grouse territory and it was and it was an area that had been reduced heavily because of the sage-grouse plants. So there's your there's your case study of why these changes were needed. Uh, you know, the the sort of hair on fire response we've seen from a lot of the environmental community in the last couple hours is is really sort of par for the course unfortunately. It's it's where we are in the in the political discourse. Um, they don't even need to read the several thousand pages of, of plan amendments that were put out today to know they hate them because of where they came from. Um, so instead of trying to look into what exactly they were trying to accomplish, uh, they just lob a bomb. Uh, you know, the, the fact is we were really pleased to see the secretary engage with the individual states and ask them how what they needed from this process to get right. And and. That means in some states, we got a lot more of what we wanted than in others. Because, you know, if you ask the state of Idaho what they need out of the sage grouse plans, they're going to be much more in line with what ranchers need in that state than, say, the state of Oregon, where you have a governor that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, could care less what ranchers in her state think, and a, and a Senate, uh, uh, you know, delegation, uh, uh, except for Mr. Walden in a state like Oregon, that, that uh, also is not concerned with anything uh, east of the Cascade Mountains. So, you know, in those kind of states, like in Oregon, they're going to get less out of this process than Idaho is because the department really committed to working with the states to get where they needed to be. Now, we, we've seen some initial language in that Oregon plan that, 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 that's making us feel better. I think the secretary and his team recognize that Governor Brown's not the final arbiter of what's important across that state, and, and she doesn't necessarily see things the same way as those ranchers in eastern Oregon. So uh, we think there has been some room created there that's going to be, be beneficial to our ranchers up there. Um, and, and, you know, there's no shortage of hard work that's gone into trying to make sure that happens. Um, so, you know, it's a mix from state to state, but uh, to dismiss this as some sort of massive giveaway to the oil companies is really missing the, missing the point. Well, I mean, and it's the New York Times and it's the environmental groups, and they're going to, you know, 
probably chicken little every chance they get. So w- what is the next step on all of this? This is obviously not the end of the road. It never seems like there is an end of the, <laughs> end of the road when it comes to the, the administrative process. But um, what action are we requesting of our state affiliates and, uh, and our members in the western states that are affected by this? Well, we're, we're definitely getting close to the end of the road. Um, you know, it, we're, we're now at final EIS. Um, so we have plan amendments. We have final documents. Uh, this now starts a 30-day objection period and a 60-day consistency review period for the governors. Um, so now everybody sort of dives into these plans and tries to make sure that, that everybody's where they need to be. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you issue those final determinations and, and we move forward with what we hope is a final uh, structure to manage this species across the 11 states where uh, where it's found. Um, now, obviously, given the uh, the response from the environmental community today, I have no doubt that they will do what they always do and lob a bunch of lawsuits at these plants. Um, that's just sort of the only uh, shot they have in their bag sometimes, and, and I think they'll certainly use it here. Um, I think that the Department of Interior has most likely factored that into their decision making. Um, I, I, I think that they probably are fairly confident that what they put together is defensible. Um, and I think they've done good work here. They've they've really tried hard to to engage everybody as this administration at the Department of Interior in particular has done across the board on these issues. And that doesn't always mean they do what we want them to do, but they but they listen to everybody. And that always results in a, in a decision that's closer to the right one than just sort of, you know, listening and taking marching orders from the NRDC or, or uh, Wild Earth Guardians or whoever else. So, you know, this is this is progress. Um, it is close to the end of the line. But obviously now we, we unfortunately will most likely uh, go into some protracted uh, battles in court. And now we'll have the added benefit of a new Democratic House of Representatives that I'm sure will want to put their stamp on this as well. Right. And before the Democrats uh, take over in January, there is still work for Congress left to do. Uh, Initially, they were planning to wrap things up this week. Um, Of course, the funeral uh, celebrations for uh, President George Herbert Walker Bush this week in Washington and in Texas um, prevented that from happening. So they, I think just today, uh, passed a two-week continuing resolution that'll bring everything sort of to a head on Friday, around Friday, December 21st, which should be uh, super fun for everybody <laughs> in Washington and around the country, really getting into the Christmas spirit here. Um, but, you know, we're, one thing that I know that you guys are still working on is a year-end, a year-end lands package. Um, how's that shaping up, and, and, you know, what do you think is going to happen with that? Well, you know, my wife and I were joking uh, because she works on the Hill and and, uh, we never plan anything during lame duck congressional sessions over the holidays because you're just setting yourself and your family up for disappointment. If you say, oh, yeah, we're coming home for Christmas. You know, usually uh, uh, it's 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 rare for them to get out of town uh, in in a timely fashion when there's fighting left to do. And um, this is no exception this time. Uh, There is uh, a lot of talk about a year in lands package. Um, I keep referring to it as maybe the last lifeboat uh, uh, that's that's going to be loaded up. So a lot of people are, are putting their hopes and dreams into that bucket. Um, you know what it ends up looking like. I think still remains to be seen. Staff on the uh, in the committees are holding that pretty close to the vest. Um, you know we've heard a lot of talk about permanent reauthorization of the land and water conservation fund. Um, unfortunately, we've heard a lot of talk about that from people who, you know, we view as allies most of the time. I mean, guys like Steve Dane, senator from Montana, who is a real champion for our industry in a lot of different ways, um, has unfortunately taken a, a, a pretty 
uh, pretty unpopular line on this package. Now, I, I, I'm sure this is popular with his constituents in Bozeman. Um, and, you know, I know that groups like the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, which are a radical environmental group posing as a as a sportsman's group, they are they genuinely are a, a con operation, um, are running ads in Montana targeting Steve Daines and and sort of calling him out, despite the fact that, you know, last week he was in Senate Park waving a waving signs at a rally hosted by Bernie Sanders and um, Maria Cantwell and some of the the uh, most far left Democrats on the Hill um, in support of this. So he's he's found himself in a really odd position here, um, sort of championing something that's hugely unpopular with ranchers and landowners. Um, you know, and and so that's going to factor into this year-end package. Obviously, Senator Burr from North Carolina is also a champion on LWCF, and the world looks very different from North Carolina than it does from Montana when it comes to how LWCF is used. So that's kind of going to be one of the linchpins for a year-end package, but you also have years of public lands bills that are county level, land exchanges, things like that that have been built up since the last big lands deal in 2014. So there's a lot of uh, kind of will across the aisle to get something done, clear the decks and start the new Congress um, without all of this sort of stuff looming overhead. Um, but, you know, our hope is that that is done in a way that doesn't give away the store, permanently reauthorizing a program and basically absolving Congress of ever looking at it again is irresponsible policy, period. Um, it's not the best way for a Republican from the West to get their green star. Um, there are other ways to do that and show you care about um, natural resources without, without selling out landowners in your state. So we hope that if there is a package put together here at the end of this year, that it's done in a responsible way. Um, we hope it's not done, you know, with an eye towards a quick press hit. And, and uh, we hope we can start next year with a, with a clean slate and a bipartisan, uh, you know, group of congressmen on both sides of the aisle that are willing to work on some of these issues. But in the meantime, we'll stay engaged up through Christmas Eve and see what we can uh, uh, cobble together and uh, what kind of priorities we might be able to get in that package. All right. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. And then finally, one side note, a uh, bit of a Twitter battle uh, broke out or op-ed versus Twitter battle uh, broke out recently between Interior Secretary Zinke and the incoming chairman of the House Natural Resources Committee. I guess um, the chairman or incoming chairman wrote an op-ed saying that Zinke should resign. Um, Zinke took to Twitter, uh, said something. Uh, I'm just going to read this tweet because uh, I, I will not I will not be able to paraphrase it <laughs> uh, justly. Um, uh, Zinke said, it's time for him to think straight from the bottom of a bottle. I'm sorry. It's hard for him to think straight from the bottom of the bottle. This is coming from a man who used nearly $50,000 in tax dollars as hush money to cover up his drunken and hostile behavior. He should resign and pay back the tax taxpayer for the hush money and the tens of thousands of dollars he forced my department to spend investigating unfounded allegations. And uh, the tweet had a hashtag called tune in for more. Ethan, what the heck is going on here? So this is some real kind of inside baseball, D.C. Uh, political stuff. And for those of us, you know, you and I have been working in this business uh, uh, for a while. Uh, and, and this is the stuff that, you know, is it, it kind of gets your gets you going a little bit if this is the game you signed up to play. Now, I think out in the country, people see this and they say, oh, that's what's wrong with politics. And sure, it's 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 ugly. It's hard nose. Um, it's it's part of the game that's played back here. But, you know, I, and I made this point uh, in, a, in a discussion with somebody just the other day that said, boy, that's just, you know, unbecoming of, of, of the secretary to, to, to be so aggressive. You know, in most cases, it probably would be. Um, uh, Congressman Grijalva is kind of a special case. He, he really 
it kind of specializes in hitting people below the belt. Um, we've had countless uh, uh, members testify before his committee uh, when he was in that ranking member role, and and he's a guy who just doesn't shy away from low blows, quite frankly. And and so you know, uh, I, I think the secretary's point here was that people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. The funny part about it is, for all the outrage from the left and and from others about Secretary Zinke's tweet, um, there was a story that came out about two hours later that uh, tune in for more. The hashtag is in reference to a bar on Capitol Hill called the Tune In. And, and um, that has sort of a known haunt of, of Mr. Grijalva. Uh, he's, he's pretty easy to find there most of the time. Um, and, and take from that what you will. It's not an accusation, it just is what it is. Um, but it turns out that when this tweet came out from Secretary Zinke sort of alleging this, uh, uh, the, as the news story reads, uh, Mr. Grijalva happened to be bellied up at that particular bar at that particular minute um, and quickly paid his tab and made his exit once it became clear that he'd been, he'd been exposed. Um, so it's just one of those sort of, you know, funny DC stories that pops up from time to time. And um, it's, you know, it doesn't have any long-term effects, but it's sort of fun to watch. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a harbinger of what we're gonna see, the sparks we're gonna see fly, I think, in the Resources Committee, unfortunately, going into next year. Um, you know, Mr. Grijalva has, has uh, uh, promised that he's gonna uh, take a lot of swings at Secretary Zinke and his department. Um, you know, and, and uh, obviously um, that's going to delay any kind of real substantive work getting done. It's unfortunate. It's a waste of the committee's time. Um, but we'll see how that shakes out because obviously there's some animosity between these two. Yeah, that'll definitely be an interesting relationship to, to keep an eye on uh, as we go into 2019. And for the record, the tune-in is actually one of the last really good dive bars in D.C. Everything seems to have gone very upscale. This thing, I mean, you can smell the, I think you can smell the grease from like 1952 when you walk in the door. Oh, oh no question. And, you know, it's funny. It's the Hawk and Dove is right next door. And it's kind of famous. If you've seen Charlie Wilson's War or any of those movies that took place next door in the Hawk and Dove. And it was bought by an investment group and sort of turned into like a hotel restaurant a few years ago. They kind of ruined it. And the tune in is right next door. And you're right. It, it's the last of the old D.C., Capitol Hill dive bars. It's a great place um, and and pretty high profile. If I were a uh, member of Congress that had that kind of reputation, I think I'd pick somewhere else to drink at noon on a Friday. But I, you know, I I mean, I, he he seemed to have gone a different route and and got called out for it. All right, Ethan Lane, uh, thanks for joining us and thanks for keeping us up on all the gossip from Capitol Hill. <laughs> Anytime. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Maybe get a drink at the Tune In. Check us out online at beefusa.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.